But hey everybody, welcome to episode 184 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Jaime Lippis Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty then. Yeah, so um, the first thing I posted here in our follow-up was that, and you probably saw this in your email, maybe you didn't, I don't know, um, but Apple is now going to require that all apps released in updates and new apps, I believe, uh, released as of April 1st will be required to support the iPhone 10 screen or the super super retina display. So do you guys do you guys get the email about that or Yeah, I did. That? A couple times for you know, one per account sort of thing. Mhm. Same here, yeah. I, I don't think this is that big of a deal. I mean, they they always do this, right? There's a certain yeah. point at which they cut off submissions from previous versions of iOS and this is just that kind of thing. Sure, but I mean it also reinforces the we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when when there was some discussion, I think mistaken discussion about the fact that Apple's moving away from the iPhone 10 style with the notch at the top and cuz cuz I think they were there was some discussion about them abandoning this this new design but then we I think Greg was on the show and we and we just sort of said that well Apple does that every year too they they redesign the hardware right um, but I don't think the OLED 5.8 inch OLED screen and the notch and the you know the infrared scanning of your face is going to go away right so and they're just reinforcing this with this announcement this announcement yeah it's it's not like to Mark's point it's not like oh no like this is a huge imposition like they, they do this all the time with like you know like the 32 to 64 bit sort of change right. right they did it with other things like i think at some point rather soon after the iphone 5's debut you had to support guess what the taller screen um and i think it's a good thing because it's better for apple to keep pushing things and I, I understand it's it can be a bit of a pain right so if you're kind of strapped for resources it's like the one end of like well i don't know now i gotta spend time and effort and money just to update for this one device that looks kind of different um and on the other end you have sort of like the hey my my company's already planned out like the entire year's worth of stuff and I'm gonna have to go fight people in order to get this onto the schedule before bad things happen until somebody realizes that we can't submit anymore. Like I but it, but it's only new apps. It's not old apps. It's only new apps. Right. But they they I'd have to find a calendar and see where they did this. But they don't take that long afterwards to make it like all apps updates. So so new apps for sure. Um the like you know one point x version of your existing app they followed up like I feel like within the same year, maybe within six months of the uh, the new app sort of update. Yeah, here it is. I got to just read the email. Do, 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 do. Some you would say. Oh, yes, you're right. It's all new apps. All new apps, iOS apps must be submitted apps or must support iOS 11. Well, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I know. I thought I, I just I maybe misread it. I thought maybe all apps that are coming out had to support it. But yeah, that's right. I guess you can, if you have your lame old app from before, you don't have, you're not bound and bounded to uh, support iPhone 10. Although it, it behooves you to do that. I think that, you know, not having the iPhone 10 screens on the on the store and and having that as an option, I think that's uh, going to point out that you're not really playing playing along, right? What do you think about that perspective? Like getting the one stars because you're not supporting the new device? Yeah, well, you know, if if you're doing things quote the right way right now with you no know, auto layout and storyboards and all that, then it's actually fairly easy to convert over. So sure, yeah. So um, yeah, I don't see it as a big deal. Yeah, right. I think um, you know, if you've done the bit to switch over to safe area, which I I think conceptually is a, a much better system anyways compared to the the layout guides um you won't have to live with with that dichotomy between the ios 10 style and ios 11 style for very long i mean the uptake is pretty good we we haven't talked about it but it's not as fast as uh, ios 10 for whatever call but it's going pretty good considering we're what six months into it so you'd get figure by end of year you can probably say goodbye to your ios 10 code and just live 100 percent it's ios 11 is your baseline and and start thinking about ios 12 true true yeah yeah Yeah, you're right it is an easy fix to to uh, just adopt the uh, that's what I've been doing in most of my apps just um, getting them caught up um, a few glitches here and there but not, nothing major nothing earth shattering right yeah and and I, I I think it's the sort of thing when I've when I've seen people online that are the most grumpy about this it feels like it's not so much about oh no like we have to update our apps it's more like they're personally they feel personally hurt 
because they're they don't like the iPhone. They're forcing me to do this, man. They yeah. hate the notch. They hate like it's like oh, like not having to do this thing because like well, I mean the other part of the update says it's you know you got to build with the iOS 11 SDK. You don't have to support right. only iOS right. 11, but you got to right. build with the new tools. Right, right. Which which does which does have a bunch of deprecated thing calls in it, which you know like like there's pop up or, or the alert alert views and stuff like that. You know have been changed over the last few years, right? Deprecated things and various mm-hmm. versions of iOS, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Like, I've actually heard people who see me with an iPhone 10 saying, well, what do you think about the notch? And first, my first response is, what notch? Yeah, I don't exactly. ever look at the notch, right? Yeah, I don't even notice it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I do notice it when I'm when I'm watching a film or something like that, and, and it goes to full screen. But then, you know, what am I what am I really missing, you know? Um, just turn the phone over. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's not, you don't look, you look at the screen, you don't look at the notch, right? But I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but I did get my screen fixed. Remember, I had that, that they called it the, um, the lightsaber effect at the Apple store. The, like the uh, green bar down the side? Yeah, down the yeah. one side, yeah. So uh, apparently it's like, since they have a name for it, it's obviously not a not an uncommon problem. Mm. So yeah. So they, and what they did in this case here was they, of course, they, they told me, to, you know, I had to back the whole phone up, but they actually replaced the screen. This is actually my original phone. Oh, okay. Like, I, I can tell because... They didn't just give a, you a new phone. No, because I can tell because, on, you know, the, the glass that covers the camera, mine's got a little tiny scratch in it, which I've had since day one. And um, I don't know if it was came like that or whatever, but... But uh, um, yeah, so I, they just replaced the screen itself. But they they do it. They apparently I, I was there when when I was picking up my phone. There was another young lad picking up his iPhone five or something. And they have some some test that they run. And if it doesn't pass the test, it kind of gets all it can get all frozen with like a certain LED display on it, like a diagnostic tool they run on it. And if it, if it doesn't pass that, then they hand you a new phone. And so in his case, they handed him the phone, and he sort of said, "Well, what about all my data?" And they looked at him and they said, "We said it had to be backed up." Mm. <laughs> you know. Oh well. Oops. Yeah, so he uh, they give him a bill for fixing the phone and send him on his way. So moving on, we have um, uh, so I th- wasn't it a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how Apple was doomed because you know the iPhone 10 didn't sell as well and it had poor sales for the quarter and so on and so forth, right? Wasn't that the last couple of weeks? Am I yeah? We we, we remarked about the fact that we should put it on the calendar as to precisely yeah. what part of the year, just as the leaves turn and the winter yeah. leaves as well. Um, so too do these uh, these cycles happen in the news, right? So well, so I've got a posted a story here from Barron saying that Apple has taken over half smartphone sales first time ever, and that's based on December's quarter alone, right? So I guess so. I, I guess that means that all sales are down, right? So it says in December quarter, December quarter made over half of all the smartphone revenue in the world, sixty four sixty one point four billion out of a total of one hundred and twenty point two billion market, mm-hmm. according to Strategic Analytics. Strategic Analytics. So yeah, that was when Apple stock price dropped. But yeah, like a stone, yeah. Yeah, and now it's back up to where it was. That's not before then. Yeah, in this article here, they're saying it was at 174, but this isn't a real update or like a live update, I guess. So the, the all-time high was 180. Right. But uh, today it's, what is it? What is it today? Uh, let's see. Uh, 171. Still pretty pretty good. Right. I mean, this is live. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, um, yes, yeah, although Apple's quarterly sales reported February 1 came well below Wall Street's expectations. So it's the Wall, like you, I think you were saying last week, to the, it's the analysts who sort of decide what they they want things to how they want things to go and then right. if it doesn't go that way they, they write a bad report right yep, yep but yeah i mean so yeah so clearly all sales were down if if sales are down at all and um but the fact that apple took over half of them also speaks well to the iphone 10 and and the iphone 8 release right which we've all sort of been hemming and hawing over yeah i mean i think as the the article sort of clarifies when they say sales they really mean the revenue part of sales and not unit sales which okay. i think a lot of people would think of um but I mean, I don't know. I mean, even if I'm not selling the the largest number, don't I really care about it being like the largest amount of money? I mean, there's there's diversification effects that you'd want to worry about, right? You wouldn't want to sell like one phone for ten billion dollars. You probably want to sell a whole bunch of them just to make sure that like you oh. have sustainability for your company. But if you could sell one phone for ten million dollars, you'd be happy to do that. But but it's true. Then the, the fluctuation, sales fluctuations, and next year you sell zero, then then uh, you're in trouble. Yeah. Do you want a mix of like having a, a very large amount as well as a very um, large amount per unit price uh, th- that makes sense but it's it's amazing to me like w- what that number means like it's, it it seems impossible for one manufacturer to have that much of the revenue considering how many different manufacturers there are and given where apple plays it plays at the the, the premium end of the market they don't have you know a hundred dollar phone that you can just go buy it's like the el cheapo one right like uh as we were talking about last time they have the most expensive phone in the market by far uh with the iphone 10 uh, the 
one that's apparently so doomed that its amount of money that it brings in causes Apple to to tip over the top and be the largest uh, in revenue, like the largest share of revenue. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Doomed to tell you, doomed. I mean, when when I say, and it's so crazy because like, well, people say, oh, doomed. Like, well, hold on. Like, and I've said this before on the show, probably over the last few years. Like, well, if your name's not Apple or Samsung, why are you even selling a phone? Are are <laughs> is it a money laundering scam? Like, why are you wasting your time? <laughs> <laughs> the two of them combined make like a hundred and three percent of all um, right, yeah. profits because everybody else is losing money hand over fist. Yeah, who's this other? Uh, so yeah, they're saying that Samsung took second second place behind Apple in share at fifteen point seven percent, fifteen percent. And then, but who's this high? Who I Huawei H-U- is a, ch- a Chinese company. Yeah, what do they make? I guess Android devices. Mm-hmm. Android phones. Um, I think mostly in the medium range. I don't think they have too many at the high or low ends of the market. I think they're they're pretty much a solid like three hundred, maybe four hundred dollar phone. I don't think they have like a an El Cheapo hundred dollar phone like like a Samsung would have. And they don't have a premium phone like again Samsung would have like a Galaxy S S series that's like six hundred and fifty plus dollars. Mm, yeah. Interesting for an eight hundred dollar on average phone. All right. Um, next piece I put up here. I just saw this today actually was, uh, and I just thought it was in, in keeping with our talk about cryptocurrency since August of last year and our love of one password. Um, there was an article today in their blog post about um, uh, by uh, who's it by Lisa? I'm going to butcher this name. Lisa Verhul. Verhoil. I don't know um, about how to use one password to manage your cryptocurrency. And so you know her number one rule she says here is to is set up pat one password before investing in cryptocurrency and i agree i think you should set up one one password um anyway i think you should pause the podcast and go do it now and come back and we'll wait all right, now you're back. Um, so, I mean, I do the same thing. So I've got my one password set up and, and uh, you know, of course, there's different ways of, you know, different kind of long, really long passwords you use in in uh, using cryptocurrency. So I've got those stored on my one password account. And then she's talking about how to use uh, one password to store your information about your cryptocurrency and your long passwords and so on and so forth. Um, and they also set up wallets. And the, the best news, of course, for one password, that is, is you can pay for your one password account with cryptocurrency if you like as well. So you can purchase uh, one password gift cards in in cryptocurrency. Which, if you think about the guy who's who paid what um, ten thousand Bitcoin for two pizzas or something like that a few years ago, um, I hope the guy who sold the pizza still has that money. That's just that's, that was an yeah, interesting story. Just kicking himself, yeah, hating that stupid pizza. It gave him heartburn anyways. <laughs> Cost him more money for Tums. Yeah, well, he thought he was on the leading edge, or he was on the bleeding edge. What well, they call it that. All right. Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting story about uh, one password and cryptocurrency. Yeah, I have to take so, a, a look into that. Um, I haven't used this particular setup that they're talking about. That, that's definitely pretty cool. That raises an interesting interesting question. I was going to ask you about this. I'm, I probably should ask one password about this. But so I haven't yet um, switched over from my, my 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 own vault to the online version, which I think you have, right? Where you pay so much per month, mm-hmm. like two ninety nine a month or something like that, US. Um, but I was just talking to my grandson the other day about he's using, he's got passwords and he has his own phone now, right? And I sort of said, well, maybe I should set up a family account and i just wonder like how much like was it a big challenge to switch from um a standalone account to uh a c- account where you're using the vault from uh one password with a subscription i mean for me i i didn't really have much in the um i don't even know what they call it so i apologize for using the wrong term vault, like the yeah. individual account local only vault um, right i hardly had anything in there to begin with so it was not that much effort to migrate everything over to the online right right primary vault i figure what they, they make a distinction between like your personal and primary vaults i think when it sets right. up uh, but that's really something that, that shows up as a division only on my iphone because all my other devices my ipad my macbook pro they all um were sort of secondary the, the devices i signed up secondarily and so they all just see the primary vault so i never like create a you know a password via like my macbook pro and be like oh no it's not going to show up on my iphone it's like well of course it is because it's on the um, the online account part of the vault as opposed to my iphone where i have to just double check and make sure which vault i'm choosing when I create the password. Oh, so you have, you still, you can technically have more than one? Yeah, I mean, I have like a, here, let me look at it here, real-time follow-up. Use my pretty face here to log in. What are these two <laughs> things named? So primary, which I believe is, the, yes, primary is the local one. I think that's probably the one that you start with when you, you know, download the iPhone app and, and sign up. And then my personal vault is the one that's online that has everything. And I just use the filter that says all vaults, so I don't really have to worry about that too much. Okay. Well, what do you, what about whether something you lose your phone or whatever and not is it all backed up to the online account 
Yeah, I mean, besides having the redundancy of um, the other devices that are available, they also have that that scheme where you can, you know, if you want to, you can print out the emergency like emergency paper that has like your particular um, like whatever the equivalent is of the sign in token that you then yeah, yeah. can use combined with your master password, right? Sort yeah. of thing. Like I, I'm, I hardly remember this because I set it up like once. Um, I have used that that backup thing just to try it out on, on a new device to make sure, like, okay, if I'm going to put this like in a very secret place or like a, a safe deposit box or something, I want to make sure that it actually does something. So, in, like, if, for example, in the case of my untimely demise, my my heirs can take uh, the information they need and still use the accounts. Oh, right, yeah, they're not locked out. Right, right, exactly. So how many how many uh, passwords and things, or how many items do you have in your your vault? Do you know, right at the top, it says like a hundred, which hundred seems about right. I mean, I probably should have more, but a lot of stuff is like, oh, if I have the option to sign in with Google or Facebook. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. Twitter, it, it kind of reduces the amount. Oh, you use, you use Google, Facebook, and those kind of things to sign in? I, Twitter's the only one I trust. I don't use the other ones at all. So I, I just for the record, I have 1,162. Wait, you trust Twitter? Huh? You trust Twitter? <laughs> only for apps that are related to Twitter. But yeah, no, I don't. I, 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 I create a password for every pretty much every account I, I create. Mm-hmm. And I store it in one password. So yeah, but I have, a, I have like 1,100... Uh, almost 1200 uh, passwords and or items in my my vault so yes i can I'm, see why you don't want to manually move those over so i would suggest either reading up on that or maybe reaching out to their customer support but like yeah, hey i got I a bazillion of these things <laughs> i don't yeah. want to spend the next week of my life manually moving these over as i'm watching netflix um right, is there like right. a bulk export or import option oh true yeah yeah oh so you had to you have to move them over one at a time like kind of dragging them from one vault to the other sort of thing or? i mean that's what i did for my phone while i was sitting on the couch but again, I have a yeah. hundred entries now. Uh, how many yeah. that I have at the time at which I realized that, oh yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pay for this service. It was built yeah, pretty quick yeah, yeah. after I joined uh, 1Password. Right, right. Signed up, not joined. I'm, I'm not working for them. No, no. Yeah, I heard you saying. Yep. We all know. We all know you're secretly working for 1Password. It's like, right. hashtag not an ad. Hashtag could totally be an ad if they we're reach out to us. We're not being sponsored to talk about this either. Yeah, But exactly. hashtag totally not an ad. Yeah, and we're not, we're not cryptocurrency experts, blah, blah, blah. All right. Oh, one thing though, she does mention, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if you do this or not in your your uh, thing i do it with my visa cards and stuff like that is is add tags to the password so like if in my visa card gets stolen or whatever then i just have to go to that particular you know tag and i can see what things had been set up like for instance i have a, pa- uh, a credit card that's expiring this year so i'll be able to you know narrow down the ones that i have the automatic payments from so I'll be able to change that over so it's a handy little feature in one password tagging i do use tags i don't use it that way that actually is a really smart way to just tag it with hey dummy you <laughs> you're using this card for all these different different services yeah uh, what happens yeah. when that renews here are all the different places that are going to immediately start uh rejecting or sending you emails nasty grams of like hey sorry your card was declined go yeah. update it yeah so and i heard about that actually from uh twitter posts on by one password back in i don't know a year and a half ago it's come in handy a couple of times because I, I think i had my my visa card was compromised one time going to the states and then another t- and then of course you know when when the account expires it's uh easier or right like i've had to close bank accounts down and move them from one place to another it's Keep handy to keep track of where all those things are. I also keep software licenses in there. I don't know if you do that as well, but because there's so many to sort of manage, right? It's kind of handy. And passport information, things like that. It's, really, it's a really good, you know, little vault for keeping all your stuff in there. All right. Um, so Jaime, you got something here in our main topics to talk about? What do you got? Yes, it's a blog post by Alan Downey, who is a professor of computer science at Olin College and author of a whole bunch of think books like Think Python, Think Stats, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. The general premise of this article is uh, is claim here is that uh, learning to program is getting harder and there's sort of uh, a few different sort of aspects to this as to why he believes this is hard um the context is you know he has books that use python in order to explain uh, stats type topics right like uh, bayesian statistics uh, digital signal processing that sort of thing and a common thing he runs into is a lot of his students not only are trying to learn that material but they're also sort of stuck like okay well how do i how do i get this python thing set up and running and how do i follow along um and his contention is that part of the reason his students are running into this problem uh, now, as opposed to, let's say, in years past, he's claiming is that um, there's sort of three main things that have changed. One is that computer retailers no longer pre-install a development environment by default. Um, two is that uh, computers have gotten sort of so much more advanced that uh, user interface have shifted away from command line, where you're, you're basically programming everything uh, to some extent, to uh, GUIs and VUIs and all these other abstractions that are so much nicer to use as products, but really hide away a lot of like, well, what is this doing mechanically under the covers? And then sort of the third thing is like cl- 
cloud computing makes this even worse because it's it's not even on your own physical device. It's it's somewhere else in the in the amorphous cloud. And he proposes some things as to uh, how folks could uh, you know deal with this. Right. Um, I think the reason I brought this up is I wanted to get sort of the the panel sort of discussion here as to like what you think about this article if you've read it or at least the the premise that uh, learning to program is getting harder. So it's it's harder now in 2018 than it was in 2008 or 1998 or 19 uh, what 88. That's how far back does he go? Let's say 88 because he mentions the Commodore 64. Right, right. I certainly have an opinion, which is why I brought it up. But I wanted to hear what what y'all had to say. Yeah, it's it's an interesting premise. I, I think in some ways it's easier, and in some ways it's harder. I mean, I, I certainly remember the days where the very first computer I owned, uh, you'd turn it on and you'd be in a in a basic shell basically, and you could just start writing a program, and you're you're you know it was all right there in front of you. Uh, so it was really easy to get started, but you couldn't do a whole lot, of course. Uh, and uh, and now, I mean, you still have that kind of thing in some cases. For example, you have Swift playgrounds, things like that, are, are make it really easy to learn how to program. Uh, and there's a lot more resources for learning things online and and, and whatnot. Uh, but for some, for other things, it definitely is harder. Uh, uh, the, uh, one one area where where it is is if you if you are trying to use some kind of you know you want to use some existing project or something like that, then there's there's often so many dependencies uh, that if you if you if you can use something like uh, Homebrew or something like that to install it, great, you know, then it's then it's then it works. But I, I'm faced with something right now where for a side project I'm doing, uh, I'm trying to uh, take the C++ based project and you know get it running in Xcode. And you know if I use Homebrew to install it, it works great. If I if I use the make files to build it manline, it works fine. Uh, but when I try to import everything into Xcode and get all the all the, the paths right and the and the dependencies right, it's it's just it's a nightmare. I still haven't gotten it to work. Uh, so so that kind of thing can get in the way. And I kind of think that's that's one of the things he's talking about is that there's so many things to get start. In some cases, there's so many things you have to get right before you can even get started. That sometimes it's very tough. But like I said, coming back to where, where I started was in, in some ways it's really easy to 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 learn. It, you know, if you have something like Swift Playgrounds or, or an environment like that, it's it's uh it's much easier than it used to be. There's also the the learning, the tooling, I think, as well as another issue. I guess it is what I'm thinking about. Like this weekend, I've been I've been meaning to get you know some of my Cocos 2D projects converted over to to Swift and and to uh, SpriteKit. And SpriteKit isn't quite as straightforward as as you'd think because you have to sort of learn Apple's sort of style of um, using the SpriteKit file, like the the um, what do you call it? It's like a SKS file, and you graphically create add project add objects to the screen, um, which wasn't anything like how you would do it in in Cocos 2D, right? Cocos 2D was all a lot of it was mostly coding, right? Um, you'd position things on the screen, you know, use math and all that kind of scary stuff. And and um, whereas in in you know and and you know the promise of making app or uh, game development a lot easier with um, with the new tools that they brought out in the last couple of WWDCs with the swarming and the different kind of you know intelligent behaviors and AI that they added into into the game kit or game it's not game kit but sprite kit and and scene kit um, environments, but trying to learn the tools to, to make that happen. I can see that being a blocker like, um, you know, if you, if you wanted to try and figure out something like challenge, I think the challenge about about um, learning the program if you're starting from scratch is is comes down to what, what app do you choose? Like I, I just picked up a book on algorithms on the weekend and um, uh, the exercises in it, which I haven't got to yet, but the exercises in, in it are written in Python and I've never really done much Python. I've done like maybe a one or two quick examples, right? Um, I know Mark started with Python and it's, you know, it has a different syntax and a different style than, than what I'm used to looking at. I mean, I started with, you know, I've done PHP and JavaScript and I did a little bit of Java. I've done a lot of Objective-C and a lot of Swift, but, you know, Python's a completely different syntax as well, right? Um, it's funny. It's pretty, pretty I, easy I, to pick up though. Yeah, I found, uh, it's funny, I found a, uh, a video series on um, on Sprite Kit this, just this weekend talking about the new, the new, um, uh, oh, it's, uh, and the SKS file, whatever, I forget what, it's, what the environment thing is called, but it's, a t- it's the graphic tool used to set up the the um, the game, um, you know, you, you put your sprites on the screen and you drag them, you set them up, and you can you can use it to figure out what different positions and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. But the guy who was uh, doing the video, he was uh, a Unity developer who was trying to explain how to use um, how to use SpriteKit. He was doing a really good job. I mean, they had some good good analogies and good good sort of framework and structures and design patterns to use. But he kept putting semicolons at the end of every line, which I thought was comical. But you know, because I'm sure that there were, there would have been like you know, Swift Swift um, style, 
know, guys out there who would be freaking out every time he finished the line, but it was funny. And he kept complaining about how Xcode kept, you know, kept accusing Xcode of drinking and, you know, being all kind of weird and buggy. And because he was, this is an old a video from a couple of years ago when, if you remember, Xcode was lots of fun to play with back then, right? So, so I don't know. Yeah. So, so what's your opinion? What's your, you, you set us up for this uh, talk here. Uh, I mean, what do you, what's your opinion about uh, how, if it's more difficult to program these days? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear your, your different perspectives because I wanted to make sure it wasn't insane. I mean, uh, I acknowledge it's not like a clear sort of black and white answer. Um, I do lean very, very heavily on one side. And the side I lean on is it's way easier in general, he says, with a very broad sort of brush, um, way easier than it, than it ever was before. Uh, admittedly, like some of the stuff that you guys talked about, like some of the tooling setup can be a little yeah. wonky and weird. But I think that's partially an artifact of the fact that we have so many different tools available now um, that you know, things you may not have even heard of before because, well, your local group what really wasn't into that, right? Like now you have access to like, oh, here's this cool thing I found on GitHub or here's something that people are talking about online. Uh, okay, great. Um, I think for me, it's like, well, okay, let me think back, you know, early on in my programming career. So this is, you know, the, the web, you know, is a thing. It is around. Um, it's definitely not as big as it was. Um, and so you still had a lot of sort of gatekeepers of knowledge, right? It could be uh, university stuff. It could be, well, you know, Sun's documentation online is, is kind of okay, but it, it also kind of sucks. I want an alternative sort of view of this whole stuff. Well, I guess I'm going to make my way down to Barnes and Noble and, you know, see like what books seem like they might be good. Like, what's this Java thing all about? And let's get some beginner books and some other things. Like, I wouldn't even bother with it now, right? I would I would go find like, you know, the official um, community for that. It could be like python.org or golang.org, similar sort of thing where not only is there, you know, great online information available for free 24-7 a day, 24-7, uh, you know, 365, but I could also join like the mailing list or maybe they have a Slack community. Maybe they have some forums, you know, all sorts of things uh, like that, you know, Stack Overflow, all these things where it's pretty much like, hey, I don't know how to do this thing. Great. Let me just do a Google search and find it. Oh, look, somebody has a YouTube video showing me explicitly how to do this thing. Um, even things like, you know, like look at what, what Tammy does, right? She has this like mentoring sort of thing where if I wanted to learn more about like game development and design and that sort of thing, I could literally just plunk down my money and do that despite the fact that Tammy is like literally on the other side of this continent, right? And it wouldn't matter because we have this great technology that makes it available. Um, I, I think where I come down to this is like, I, I think, uh, I forgot his name. I said at the beginning, I think Alan Downey is looking at it from like where his neck of the woods was and like in how his particular sort of experience was growing up that was like, hey, you had to know the file system. You had to know how the operating system worked. It's a little different now where um, even in my sort of early days, like if you had a browser, you had a development environment because you yeah. just, you know, see what, like, what was this crazy JavaScript doing on this website that I saw? Oh, cool. I'm going to use that in my little stuff too. If I, if I had a text editor um, and, and access to something, I could do that. That was very rudimentary. Now you have, um, you guys mentioned Swift Playgrounds, which is local. We've mentioned uh, online stuff like um, like IBM's uh, server mix, uh, blue mix server side, you know, type Swift in the browser and it'll execute it sort of thing. And then With tools like Docker and Homebrew and yeah. Yeah. And into in this guy's particular use case, I'll even point out like uh, if you're willing to go the cloud route, which I think is, is sort of like a big hang up for him doing these sorts of uh, Python with stats sort of things. It's not my area of expertise, but everything that I've seen out in industry appears to be, hey, you probably want to be using something called Jupyter Notebooks, which appear to be like uh, kind of like the way that the Swift, not playgrounds, but like Swift books work, like where you, it, you can read some text and then you can execute like, in, like an embedded playground. And if you can't get that running locally, there's stuff like uh, Microsoft Azure has these things that you can just like clone a GitHub repo and it like will push it to Azure and you have your own little playground there where, yes, you are admittedly losing out on some of the details, like what exactly is the cloud doing? But if I'm looking to get really more into like Bayesian stats and signal processing and not necessarily programming per se, that's probably okay. Like, I don't think uh, jumping into programming to do these sorts of stats things is like the easiest way to go, right? Because clearly he didn't start there, right? He started uh, in 1982 with a Commodore 64 and it was a, a much more basic sort of environment. Now there is- It literally was basic, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's more like sophisticated sort of things that you can do now. Uh, yes, there are more things to learn, but I think uh, it's no longer impressive. Like, holy smokes, like I got this little uh, logo turtle to go like in a square. Like that blew my mind the first time I did it. It wouldn't now, right? It, it certainly wouldn't impress kids. Now, now they've got things where you have like Raspberry Pi or Arduino powered like Lego sort of things that they can program by putting together either physical or digital blocks that have 
have basically programming type constructs, if, else, switch between this thing, loop between this thing, that isn't necessarily tied to how does this actually work on a uh, like von Neumann type architecture level. Not saying that's not important, it, it clearly is, but it's not necessarily the only starting point as it was before. That's sort yeah, of my take access information alone, I mean, like I remember the early days of the internet and it was like you just couldn't find things. You would you would find the one book that an- you thought answered your questions and you get three quarters of the way through it and find out it was it didn't it fell flat on its face or I mean there was one game book that both Mark and I bought at one point in time that you know it got you a good foundation in the first part of the book but the rest of the book was completely buggy it just didn't run right remember that book Mark which book are you talking about the beginning iOS game development I think it was called back in the day oh mm-hmm. that was a remember great that? book yeah but, uh, no but don't you remember that the that the the code broke down like uh, three quarters of the way through it it just wouldn't run anyway. I don't remember that mm-hmm. maybe anyway. yeah I don't remember that yeah <laughs> yeah because I because I remember I when I started reading it, it was, oh yeah it's a great book I mean I remember you commenting on that and then we got to a part where we just couldn't get it to run mm-hmm. but anyway um yeah just just you know and and I think what he's talking about is is the early early days back when when computer literacy was a thing like you had to you know you learned how to use a computer like an Apple or a early PC or a Commodore you know Texas Instruments computers where you had to you know write every line on practically every instruction right and um you know now it's like you really don't even need to know a lot of things like just to crank open like you said playgrounds or or even xcode now that now that we have the swift compiler you know guiding us with corrections as we go um you know you can you know fix it and that kind of stuff right you can get you can get into writing a program pretty quickly and pretty easily and then of course there's all the online you know videos and and uh you know sites to go to and things like that plus books and whatever like it's a lot easier to learn to program i think that the the thing that may be challenging is is picking a language like picking picking one thing and sticking with it right so like when i I mentioned php for instance i was just thinking about this earlier too that um if the answer to what i wanted to do wasn't on php.net and php.net was pretty good documentation um i couldn't do it right so because i didn't know that much about programming at the time when i was back in the you know 1999 or when i started that right (laughs) well i'm glad we could talk about it because i I had a feeling it wasn't uh going to be an easy one and that there were definitely going to be tons of perspectives on it so yeah sure good job to us yay pat on the back all right well the next topic i put down here is um business insurance so um when i started you know when i started my business 12 years ago um i think i, I don't know if i necessarily had business insurance i think i had business insurance from the very beginning it was like you know 300 dollars or something like that for the year or something um and it was just general liability thing so one of my buddies who, who helped me get started my business sort of said you just you need this you need to have some sort of thing and that back in the time back in those days i was you know doing it support i was fixing people's computers and stuff like that and it was like insurance that would cover if you know one of my employees you know did something to damage the equipment let's say right or not or if i knocked over a, a monitor and it smashed on the ground it would cover it would cover that kind of stuff and a little bit of you know insurance from things in my office and that kind of stuff right but as i got into software development i started thinking about uh, errors and emissions and i remember exploring whether or not um i should get that kind of insurance and i never really did manage to, to figure out a, a a good place to get it. But I think it's, you know, it's something that every, you know, independent developer, if you're working for somebody else, writing code or whatever, if you're not an employee, I think you should look at, at getting that, you know, business insurance for your business to begin with, but also errors and emissions. And one of the things when I joined Apple Consultant Network, because we were representing Apple in a, in a fashion, we had to have an insurance policy. Well, the reason I'm bringing it up is I just got a letter from my insurance company telling me that, you know, my insurance, you know, renews in a couple of months from now. And, uh, uh, they said, yeah, if you don't have an errors, first of all, if you don't have an errors and emissions policy covering your business, your development business, they won't provide the business insurance to me anymore, right? And ironically, they don't carry errors and emissions insurance because I remember asking them about that, you know, five or six years ago, at least uh, when I started doing iOS development, probably seven years ago now I think about it. Um, yeah, and I just wondered what you guys do or what your perspective on on having that kind of insurance, because I, I, I got a le- registered letter today telling me just my insurance is going to expire. They're not even going to, they're, they're not even, they don't want to cover businesses such as yours, they say, I'm doing air quotes, because it, that's literally what it said in the letter. So what do you guys uh, think? What do you, what do you do for insurance if you do anything? I don't. <laughs> okay. I mean, the, you know, the, you know, in, in this line of work, I mean, maybe it's different in Canada, but in this line of work, the, the amount of liability that you can have doing tech development is, is fairly low. Uh, so how do you mean? Well, it's, it's sort of hard to sort of hard to Im- 
imagine how uh, having writing an iPhone app can have an impact on on uh, well can do damages to to a to a customer. Mm-hmm. Well, what about to the business that you're contracted to? Well, I mean, if if you're not doing a good job, they just fire you, right? Yeah, I, I don't mean if you're an employee. Uh, I mean, like I, if you're a contractor, like subcontractor. Let you guys do that kind of work down there. Yeah, but I, well, I, I've never uh, I've never even considered getting that kind of insurance. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've not right. done that sort of work, so I've not required it. Um, I think I've not done that sort of work because I'm kind of more on the paranoid side where I probably would go ahead and get the insurance and have an LLC set <laughs> yeah. up and have it be like, you know, separate bank accounts and like everything to prevent uh, what they call piercing the veil and, and letting my liability become uh, unlimited, right? And have it be just like, all right, maybe this little entity over here dies, but I'm okay. Um, yeah, you have LLCs in, can- in the estates. I don't know if we necessarily have those, right? Um, I'm guessing I you must that. have some sort of equivalent. Uh, like- well, we have the concept of corporation, of course, but I'm sure you guys do too, right? Where you can incorporate your company and then um, you have directors and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's, it sounds more official than it really is. But um, I mean, it can I mean, can be like, you know, there are major corporations. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure Apple is one and, you know, the place I work for is one and um, in my day job. But um, yeah, I just, I just wondered on individual consultancies, like, you know, if you're writing, if you're out there writing apps for other people, I mean, I, you know, um, if you did something that would compromise their brand or, you know, um, through, I mean, through uh, errors and emissions is not about the fact that you, you deliberately did something. It's like something that may happen as a, as a circumstance of what you did, right? Like, like suppose you're writing the Tim Hortons app, for instance, right? None of us are doing that, so I can talk about that. But suppose you're writing the Tim Hortons app and, and uh, something happens and, and through uh, an error in the app, it ends up damaging Tim Hortons' brand, right? And they, their lawyers send you a letter and say, we're going to sue you for everything you, you own, right? What do you do then? That's what the business insurance errors and emissions is for, right? I see. I see. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends on, on how the, the contract stuff is written up. I mean, I'm going to say this facetiously, but like <laughs> hypothetically works where if you were to put into your contract that this uh, this code is uh, for entertainment purposes only, <laughs> not sure how that holds up legally because I'm also not yeah. a lawyer, but it sounds a lot like the errors and omissions sort of policy that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that uh, and most of us um, release our software under the Apple end user license agreement because that seems to be the easiest thing, the path of least resistance, right? Um, I'm just trying to find, I, I put in one of my apps, I'm just looking for it here in my system preferences, I guess. Where you, and it was one of these liability statements that you can, that you put in. And again, I don't know if it would hold up in court either, but uh, I don't know. That's, I guess uh, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> this is for entertainment purposes only. I will be seeking for, I will be seeking Canadian, by the way, uh, Arizona emissions insurance soon. So yeah, but I just, it just, I just thought it was funny that, you know, it's interesting that because I mean the question came to me from from my uh, my broker that the letter basically said like you know we're we're you know we won't insure you unless you have this type of uh, policy and then and they said by the way you don't develop software do you like in one of the sentences in the middle of the paragraph you know to which the answer cannot be no right so yeah just I just thought it was funny like you know uh, go back to go back to either uh, designing logos for people or selling coffee I guess you know mind you I guess I could scald them with the coffee right. <laughs> or <poison laughs> They'll give you the insurance for that, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, you need the insurance for that. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Anyway, it's just an interesting topic. All right, I guess we can stop boring the listeners with this this conversation. Things to think about. All right, so I guess we'll move on to our picks, yes? Sure. Sure, okay, all right. Well, I have a pick here. Uh, i got a couple, actually. Um, one is, and I think Mark's pick is going to be the R1 again, right, from Skydio? Uh, that was my pick last time. <laughs> it can be your pick again. Because um, I'm repeating my pick. I, we talked about Astropad. Um, a while ago, and we just uh, on Roundabout we had um, Matt, one of the developers of Astropad, uh, Astropad HQ, on Roundabout last week. So if you want to check out that, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, he sent us over a review copy of uh, Astropad Studio, which is there. We we questioned this, the the product uh, when we first talked about it here on on our show, More Than Just Code, about uh, what this uh, studio project was because it's seventy nine dollars a year as a subscription as opposed to the you know one time only purchase of $29 from the uh, App Store. And if you buy it from the App Store, it's a perpetual license you get at the, the regular AstroPad um, app. And what it is basically is it takes your iPad Pro and your Apple Pencil. You don't need a pencil, but it takes your Apple Pencil and your iPad Pro and allows you to extend the, mon- the display of your screen so that you can, like you have an AstroPad app that runs on your Mac and AstroPad run- running on your iPad on your iOS device. And you can see the, ma- the Mac display 
play and you get the benefit of using a pressure sensitive tablet in Photoshop, for instance. Like you can actually, you're actually drawing on the screen, but you're drawing on your iPad kind of thing, right? Um, but what AstroPad Studio does, it extends that capability, adds a bunch of new sort of settings to the, to the brush strokes. And they have this thing called liquid strokes and things like that. You can do um, some multiple finger tricks. So if you have the pencil and, and one or two or three fingers on the, on the iPad, you get different uh, augmentations. Like if you have the pencil in one finger, it, it turns the the pencil into an eraser, which is one of the things that's missing from the Apple Pencil. Um, but also it extends the application. So if you have Photoshop running, it gives you access to tools within Photoshop without having to go to the menu and pick, you know, pull down menus and all that kind of stuff. Like if you need to build a new layer, you just hit the new layer button and presto change you, you have a new layer in there. And, and you can increase and decrease the brush sizes, which are normally done through keystrokes on the keyboard. But you can do that right now. There's a couple of buttons that they've added to the to the sort of uh, contextual menu that's beside the um, AstroPad. There's a video here on that we'll put in the link in the show notes. Um, but so it extends, even if you're in Apple Mail, it, it gives you access to, to Apple Mail. And uh, one of the nice things about this that adds, a, which is missing from the, the standalone product, um, is it gives you a full keyboard. So you push a button in the corner and you've got a full iPhone or iOS keyboard, you know, iPad style, which is almost like the size of a regular keyboard. Um, and you've got your keying in data. You're saving files and naming them and what have you, or you're naming layers and all that kind of stuff. So I took it for a spin last week, and, and as soon as I, you know, worked with it for like an hour, I'm mean like, okay, this is totally worth 79 bucks. Go go out and buy it if you have one. So Or take it for a spin. You can try it out for seven days for free. But, uh, yeah, I think you'll find that uh, that's an easy purchase as a, as a professional um, tool for the iPad Pro. So that's my review of AstroPad Studio. For somebody who doesn't isn't necessarily going to have like a Adobe Illustrator or Adobe Photoshop, yeah, sort of thing. Like, what are your thoughts on sort of my use case where I'd, I'd like a, a fairly sort of basic drawing environment where, yeah. uh, like, I can share my screen with something like Zoom, yeah. um, but yet still have like an Apple Pencil drawing on my iPad Pro sort of environment. So it's a little bit uh, more, I don't know, intuitive for lack of a better word than trying to use the the mouse to draw, which is kind of clunky. Well, you know how you have the Apple Notes in uh, Apple added um, uh, sketches to Notes, right? In the last uh, update of Notes, um, you can also do the same thing. Thing. I believe you can do the same thing in the Mac version. Let me just check now that I say that. Because you can start uh, drawing in uh, on the iPad. Maybe it's just on the iPad version, I guess. Um, I thought that was a way of doing drawings inside of this here application. Hmm. I know for sure you can do that on the on the, the uh, iOS device as well. Maybe not. Okay. But yeah, I mean, if you had something simple, simple like a, 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 like there are um, tools that are cheaper than buying uh, Sketch or Photoshop that you can use for drawing. Um, yeah, you could you could totally sketch up in, in, in that with your Apple. Do you, have an, do you have an iPad Pro? I do. Yeah, and do you have an Apple Pencil? I do not, but that's something that I've been considering getting. Well, you can. So, so in in your case, there you could you could have a, a drawing app on your on your Mac, and you could use your finger instead of a pencil. Like it, it's and you're not you're not restricted to having to have a pencil to use uh, AstroPad Studio, right? So, and, you, and like I said, the the initially I bought the AstroPad app as soon as it came out. I mean, like, oh yeah, I'm totally like because you know I think Tammy was the same way that we both you know uh, do enough drawing on. On our, our devices on our Macs that you know it made us made sense for us to use AstroPad as a so she has a you know she had a full-blown Cintiq I think she's since sold it but uh, same sort of idea that you could use your your iPad Pro as a, as a graphics tablet on your Mac right um, the other thing that, that uh, AstroPad HQ has and we talked about it before is a thing called Luna display which allows you to have a full Mac environment on a like a, having an external display on your um, from your Mac using a little uh, dongly plug into the display port or to a USB-C port, and then you've got uh, your AstroPad acts like an external monitor, right? So you have the menu and all, all that kind of stuff too. But, but I think, you know, anytime you want to do any kind of drawing or sketching or whatever and sharing through like your Mac experience, like your Skype or whatever, you can do that kind of stuff. You can do Zoom and and, um, and Skype on your on your iPad, can't you? Yes. The, the, the well? use case I have is, is maybe slightly sort of off, um, off the beaten path of, of what a lot of these tools want. But let's imagine like I'm doing stuff for... Let's say work, right? So we 
you know, telecommuting type companies. So a lot of uh, Zoom meetings. Um, sometimes it's it's easier to say, hey, let, let's just jump on Zoom where I can I can see you, I can talk to you. But then I might also share my screen, which is great. You know, I can show people code and stuff. But what I'm missing is sort of that ability that you would have like in a physical office where I would just say, oh, let's just go to the whiteboard. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah. like, let me just draw this out because you're not getting it and I'm not getting it. So let's see where we're, the disconnect is. That's sort of the, the virtual environment that I'm trying to, to create to simulate that. And it feels like stuff like Astropad and other bits are like, oh, so close. I just need to like figure out in my head how that will work because I'm like, what they show is is like Photoshop. That's great. I'm, I'm not a Photoshop person. I don't really need that need, that, that sort of horsepower, right? Yeah, I think I think like like the, the Illustrator and Sketch and Photoshop, and, and I don't know about Sketch for sure, but but those kind of programs lend themselves well to the Astropad offering. But, but like I said, it's interesting to see that you get extra menu items if you go to Apple Mail or you go to Safari or whatever. There's like an extra sidebar menu. I forget what they call it. Let me go to the website here and get the proper terminology for you. I mean, I did look at the notes earlier, but so, and they and it's funny they keep sending me send me an email every day with a couple more tips, which is kind of nice too, right? So yeah, so they have Stroke Lab, oh shortcut sets they call them, right? Um, and they're customizable and that kind of stuff. But there's all these uh, different tools for each each one. Oh, and they also work with this, with the uh, Apple keyboard too. So yeah, they add a pile. You can look on the website they use. They add a pile of um, things to your uh, like three button mouse simulation, that kind of stuff, racers, pressure, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I t- definitely take it for tra- for for spin there. I mean, just even even this regular Astro Pad, you might find a use for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't looking for a tool like this, but I, I did happen to know about it. So um, when he gave us gave us one to try out, it was great. So they've added a bunch of new things to it in the studio version, that is. So that's my pick, Astro Pad Studio. So my next pick was, uh, I, I you know, back in uh, 2010 when I went to, uh, to Seattle to uh, Voices That Mattered, first iOS conference, I attended this strange-looking, long-haired dude in the back of the bus, and we were being shuttled from the hotel to the conference, and um, I was also a strange-looking dude with long hair, too, and he started talking to me, and his name was Graham Lee, and uh, yeah, so he's he started up this thing called um, the uh, Wizard uh, Wealth Wizard Engineering. I think it's a... I'm not sure what his connection is to it, whether he founded it or not, but saw an interesting talk by him uh, the other day, but the one I posted here in the, um, in, the uh, in the video here is called the What is the Duck of Productivity? And uh, I, first of all, I thought it was what the duck is productivity. But then when I watched the video, he talks about um, these little rubber ducks. And we've talked about rubber ducks for rubber duck debugging. And he sort of says he's got this little idea that you have a little rubber duck and you're working in a busy office environment. And sometimes you're in the zone and you don't want to be interrupted by other people. And sometimes you're not, right? So he says what you can do is you have this, take this little rubber duck and you put a little bit of sticky on the bottom of it, like maybe stick them or, or some double-sided tape or something. And you put it up on your monitor, on the top of your monitor, when you don't want to be disturbed. So you put the duck up on the monitor, and then when you're right, when you're when you're open to people coming and asking you questions and things like that, you can take the the duck off the monitor, and uh, then people will know that you're accessible. And he basically handed all these ducks to people. So his the, the long short of it is, you just you know you're ready you're, you're ready to, to deal with other people. You you duck on, and if you if you don't want to deal with people, duck off. No, don't get it. <laughs> the, the, I saw the video. The, the statement there is cute, and it's uh, kind of interesting to use the the duck in another way where it's sort of a yeah. a signal to others as to your availability. A very sort of quiet signal. Yeah, yeah. I do remember a Kickstarter program once where they had this sort of, uh, you know how you have the on-the-air light that you put on top of your uh, your recording studio when you want, don't want people to walk in on you? Well, this was sort of the same sort of idea when you were in programming, you would turn on this light and people would, that would be their signal for to stay away from you. But I just like the duck on, duck off thing. So it's funny. Mm-hmm. But actually, what was, I'm trying to figure out what the video was I was watching before that led me to this one like oh what is architecture he was is a good little talk on um and it's just posted five years ago which is why i clued into it but uh yeah it was just uh, talking about you know the design for design sake kind of thing all right so what's next so Jaime, you have a pick i do it's a it's an accidental pick because last week my pick was uh for those of you driving at home it was ios ref ref.com you can put that right in your browser and it'll take you where you want if you're like me and you were trying to share this with uh people at work you might have typoed it as iOS res res and I found oh it's not a terrible site it's actually a kind of a nice little site here it's it's not as far as I can tell quite as extensive as iOS ref but if you wanted a quick sort of attractive way to look at what are all the different uh, resolutions for various iOS devices iPhones iPads uh, Apple watches I found this pretty handy because it'd be pretty easy to just say okay uh, we need to build for an iPad pro 10.5 what is that um, looks like it's 1668 by 22 24 or the logical resolution is 834 by 1112. Right. And so you can answer a lot of these questions. 
applications. Um, I have not tried comparing these to see uh, how they match up in their respective domains, but another alternative that you might want to bookmark in case you need uh, some quick access to this sort of information. And if you ever want to know how many pixels per inch there are in an iPhone 10, it's way more than any other device. Wow, a lot. Yeah, that super retina device. What's what's the lowest? Not not counting the watches, I guess. The iPad, iPad Pros at 264. I guess iPads, so like the iPad Air 264. And then if you get an iPhone 10, it jumps all the way up to 458 pixels per inch. Yeah, I still have the iPad Mini listed here at 768 by 2024 logical resolution, which I think is, uh, I guess the SE is the smallest device, right? Or the SE and the 5 are the same size. The cut here the seems to be like, I don't, I don't think it's implied, or, or I don't think it's explicitly stated. It seems more implied of like stuff you would have as, as quote, modern, right? Where it's it's supported by the latest OS. So I think that's why the iPhone right. 5 sort of makes the cut. The SE for sure supports the latest OS. Right, right. Logical resolution ruler. Hmm, cool. A handy tool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week, right? So, hey, how many people want to find you on the interwebs? Where do they look? I'm on Twitter. It's at Dev with the Hair. All righty. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And as I usually say, I'm Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. And until next week, we will say bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out the details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. exciting and new oh you know i think america and canada are playing against each other and oh it's probably over by now the uh i think what, a gold hockey? medal game for Women's hockey? hockey yeah yeah our men's team got kicked out or they went down and uh glorious but, defeat i'm sad but kicked out or or um no they just lost <laughs> they yeah, lost yeah. to czechoslovakia so they're they didn't make that in the crowd right they lost in a shootout yeah yeah we we lost the game the shoot i mean the shootout that's a horrible horrible way to win it, lose a game I have some opinions on some Olympic stuff. Um, one, I think that that one American who found all the loopholes and, and made her way onto the Hungarian team. Oh yeah, what? <laughs> as the as like a, a like a ski. Yeah, she did the ski the, half like, pipe. Yeah, yeah, and she was terrible at it. Mm. See her? Yeah, she didn't do any kind of tricks or jumps or anything. She just kind of skied up and down the half pipe and was done. But I guess you could say she was in the Olympics. She probably came in last. Right. It, it's the sort of thing that makes me think. Okay, that was really only possible because it gets to a problem I've had with the Olympics where I really feel like you should have to be a citizen of that nation to compete for them. And yeah. I'm probably unreasonably grumpy about this in general because it's like, oh man, like so many people in, in the United States, they're like, well, my grandpa is from France or my grandma is from Japan. So I guess I'm going to, you know, uh, compete for them. It's like, well, that's not cool because now the USA is losing out of medals. And then the second one is like, well, it kind of seems like you can just sort of uh, play games with it. It's like, well, I'm not good enough for this team. So I'm going to go for this other team to make sure I can get in. And, and this woman was like the most extreme version I've ever seen of that. Hmm. Yeah. Does it does it really matter though? I mean, isn't there enough nationalism in the world already? We don't need more. I mean, okay. But in that case, like everybody should be like Olympic athletes. Like in, like <laughs> like the Olympic athletes for Russia, just everything is just Olympic athletes and like you just compete for yourself. Well, maybe they should. Hmm, maybe. I mean, if it's truly, really, truly about sports and who's the best at the sport, what difference does it make what country? Think about that one yeah but then <laughs> what opportunities will i have to lord stuff over my canadian friends well that's true yeah when that's... we eventually defeat them in in hockey yeah it oh, will happen hear... so mark jinxed the uh, women's uh, curling team eh? last uh, canadian women's curling team i jinxed them how yeah they completely got they completely got uh, knocked out when did i mention the canadian women's curling? well you mentioned curling last week oh yeah but yeah <laughs> we're blaming I, you I mentioned, the... uh, I mentioned tim hortons and they haven't gone out of business 
business yet. Not yet, but as much as you'd like them to. <laughs> any minute now, yeah. yeah. Let's wait for those quarterly results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that I've, uh, I've been thinking about is there are a ton of sports in which I have no clue what is going on, and yet I can still find it kind of entertaining if they just give like thirty seconds, like the TLDR, like this is what the sport's about. Points, yeah. more points is better. Less time is better. Or, you know, whatever it is. All right, mm-hmm. cool. Now mm-hmm. I can go for it. Like biathlon, like you cross country ski for a while and then shoot. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, but but you think about it though. When you're pushing your body, your your heart's racing, adrenaline's running through your body. You can't really aim that uh, well, right? No, I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said it was simple. Skiing with guns. Yeah, yeah. No. Sport of American kings. Yeah. Do they also have skiing with uh, with archery? You think they would? Uh, yeah. Don't they have Ooh, running? Man, like that would that, be or? really hard because you're like I can see where the gun like they they lay it on like a little tripod sort of thing, so they're not holding the entire weight. Mm-hmm. Right. You still got to hold the weight for that darn thing, and you're using your arms to like pound the skis, right? The poles on the skis. Yeah. Oh, for the the one where they're standing there shooting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I also yeah, have so- very uh, strong and grumpy opinions about um, speed skating, mm-hmm. uh, largely because I mean I, I watched one of the the competitions where I don't even I don't even know who was competing. It, it doesn't it doesn't was matter. It the too one much. where they when they're by themselves on a big oval track or or the short track speed skating. Uh, it, whichever one is the one that they're like all clustered in a bunch, so they tend to yeah, crash that, into each other. That's the short track. Yeah, that's that's a relatively new sport. Okay, so here, here's yeah. my my grumpiness as to why I don't like it. So I I had no skin in the game because there were like there were no Americans in this particular final, mm-hmm. but yeah. I saw what appeared to be a pretty good skate, and then yeah. it turns out that the lady who uh, I thought was in silver, uh, so a second place, they mm-hmm. docked her all the way back to like fifth because she lightly grazed yeah. some other yeah. competitor, not like crashed, not you know pushed or elbowed or did some sort of cheating sort of thing that you see this was like you know her hand lightly touched somebody as she was yeah. going around a corner yeah i'm like what it's like that's bs you know how we solve this problem you just make the thing ring bigger <laughs> you see this happening <laughs> in the summer olympics no because everybody's got their own lane <laughs> well you know what kills me is is those those ones where they're on skis and they're going down the hill and they're going over jumps and stuff like that you know yeah. yep like that's i just I, ski cross they call it or something like that i call it stupid cross or something you know it's just yeah crazy. Where they do, they're doing like the snowboard tricks. They're like yeah, they're doing the, but but it's like four of them going down the hill at once, though, right? You've yeah. seen that one, right? Oh, I haven't seen that one. No. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like crazy, huh. and, they're, and they're going down the same hills with the same jumps. And stuff. I think some guy ended up in the hospital the other day. And oh, I, I saw that where the dude like landed just right on his side. You know, Mark, I'm thinking about it more. You know, it it, it just wouldn't have the same appeal uh, if we didn't have the nations part of it. No, I know. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> just playing devil's advocate because I watch it too, and I root <laughs> the Americans, of course. You know, yeah, I'm still like I'm I'm still bitter it's got to be at least eight years now i don't even think it was last olympics um i'm still bitter because uh the american snowboarder the snowboard cross she was she must have been you know 30 seconds ahead of everybody else it was like she was winning so so far uh and she decided to hot dog it on the last jump uh, ate it yeah and then ended up getting silver like that was how or bronze that was how far ahead she was that she fell wasted time getting up and still like placed mm. and I, I was still so eternally bitter i'm like look if this this was an individual sort of sport competition like the winter x games like i don't care that's you you know you mm-hmm. lost out but in this case i'm like oh america the united states your country that you're you know representing we lost out on that gold that we had in our hands yeah well I for those of you watching along uh by the the figure skating last night and did you watch any of it the, no. the, <laughs> the women's figure skating there were we had three u.s competitors and none of them yeah. were even in the top three they all they all fell actually oh really yeah 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 well it's funny the yeah. the the, the judging in figure skating has been fixed for years, right? Like it's it's a big a big big controversy. And well, these all talk about the Russian judge, right? You would always give the bad scores. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> I think there was one where they actually proved that she was like she was, and they were tipped off to, you know, to the French tipped off somebody. And I don't mean to throw the French or the Russians under the table here, but there was a conspiracy between two countries to help each other's uh, results, and uh, oh. they they kind of got found out. But anyway, for those of you who are playing along at home, it's like four minutes to go in the second period, and Canada's up two one right now in the uh, women's hockey final. <laughs> of course, you'll this know by the second time period, so they still have the third to go. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, I, I think it must have been one nothing for the U.S. because uh, the big news on Twitter was that Canada tied it up one one, and now they're up by a goal. So it ain't over till the fat lady sings, as they say, right? So like the Canadian, it's funny that the women's hockey; these are like the the, the best players in the world. Whereas um, this year, the this, I think the first year, and I don't know how many years that they haven't sent professional NHL players to the Olympics, right, to represent each country. Mm. Yeah, so so there's no like you know major stars because I guess Gary B- 
Chapman didn't want to, you know, again, how much income are they really going to lose by, by having these guys go to the Olympics for two weeks, right? I guess a lot. Well, shut down the season. Yeah. Well, they don't shut down the season. It's just, it's, they take a two week break and they just, you know, they end up playing the Stanley Cup in June sometime, right? So, well, this is how they used to do it, remember? Yeah. Uh, that's why back in when, when the U.S. won it in 1980. Oh, the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they were miracle just nice, the amateurs yeah. and they, and they beat the Russians who were essentially a pro team, even though yeah. they were supposed yeah. to be amateurs. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I saw something. I, I, I want to say it was a Russian curler who, who got caught like doping in some way. Like what, what, what sort of drugs yeah. does one use <laughs> yeah. for performance enhancing and curling? <laughs> Quaaludes? <laughs> like to calm the nerves? You like, you get the straight shot? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. about it. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Like it's not the sort of thing where you would use an, an upper and, and downers seem like it would, it would hurt. Uh, Cause it's yeah. not as if you just fling it, you know, down willy nilly. You got to aim very carefully. Yeah. So here's an interesting, here's some light real time follow up. I'm just reading this, this, a study, a study has found that their early home pod adoption is at 3% as a smart speaker and it hits 89% in satisfaction. 3% of smart speakers, you're saying? It says, well, the headline is study finds early home adoption at 3% as smart speaker market hits 89% satisfaction. I have no idea how to read that headline um, or what, what that means. Let's see. Survey consisted of 520 U.S. custom consumers found that 31% of respondents owned a smart speaker. Leading the way was the Amazon Echo with 55% of the market, followed by Google Home with 23% of the market, and Microsoft's Cortana at 15. HomePod adoption sits at 3%. This is what, after a week or two? That's a weird one. Like, what are people using? Like, the, the Harman, I think? Like, Microsoft doesn't even make their own smart speakers, so I'd have to think yeah. about which third-party ones have uh, Cortana involved. Well, here, let me, I'll throw the link in the, in the notes here. I just saw it since we were talking about the HomePod last week, right? Yeah, 3% is, is actually kind of surprisingly high, considering how many devices are already out there for the Echoes and the Google Homes. Um, 3% is high? Yeah, I mean, because yeah. uh, unless they meant over, like, like for the quarter or something, like, that would make more sense. If it was, like, for, for all installed base, like, that would be actually a pretty yeah. good victory for... If they're including the Sonos in, in that, then 3% is pretty big. Yeah, well, they're, and they're only, they're only, like, what, 500 people? Like, that's not... Yeah, 520 U.S. customers. That's not... That's not a, how many people? 30 million people in the United States? Five, how is 520 representative of anything? I'm not a stats person, but I do know you would not need many people. I'm, I'm not sure 500 is the right number, but I, I don't think you would need more than like a few thousand to, to be statistically okay. well, representative. I, I put the link on the show notes there, so if you want to click on it and have a look yourself. In terms of satisfaction, 89% of respondents who owned a smart figure said they were satisfied or very satisfied. Okay, well, that, oh, that's what the 89% of satisfaction, not, not really related to the iPod, but related to, or is this, wait a minute, yeah, just in general in terms of using smart speakers. You know, we were talking about the sort of people who are uh, irrationally angry about the notch, uh, even when they don't, <laughs> even when they don't own an iPhone 10. I found it yeah, sort of yeah. entertaining the people who are irrationally angry about the HomePod because uh, apparently they're like Android users and they, they want to use the HomePod. It's oh. like, I understand it on the one side, like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, you can't use it without a phone, period. But on the other side, I'm like, this is Apple. They're just doing the same thing they always do like yeah you, you are you do you do you get angry because you can't take a bmw engine and shove it into a honda pre uh, toyota prius mm. i mean mm-hmm. why couldn't you but I'm, I'm i'm sure it's possible but it's like the path of pain for you yeah. this is not yeah. for you <laughs> is essentially what i what i would say well i find in some ways that that using a google home with an iphone is is i don't think it's quite the experience that you probably get if you use the an actual android device by google right for sure for sure do, but do you have an I android think- in the family or you're all uh all ios the two of you no uh, uh, fiance's phone is uh, is an android um and I, I totally get what you're saying there that it, i from what i recall again because i'm not an android user uh there definitely is a tighter integration with especially like the google mm-hmm. assistant stuff with uh with android phones versus what you could possibly do um you know even if google wanted to there are certain things that ios itself does not allow you know, google to do but it's slightly different in that you know google tends to be more open so i kind of expect you know, well whatever they can do they will do uh, but i also kind of feel like well you're trying to mix oil and water and <laughs> you get what you get, right? Like, right, I, yeah. I enjoy mine, but I'm not, you know, psychotically angry about it. Like, oh my God, how come it doesn't play blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, because it's an Apple device. It, it works yeah, really well with yeah. Apple products. Yeah. yeah. It's just a weird, weird set of numbers here to give us it like this. Apple updates human uh, human guidelines for uh, AR kit. Hmm? Have you looked at AR kit 1.5 yet? No. Should I? That's it. Well, it's the new version that came out with uh, the 11.3 beta. Oh, right. You're talking about here in this uh, features introduced. In- Did you say 11.3? beta i just updated 
updated to what version? What is this? 11.2.6 about day. Oh, dang it. That is, that is what I'm using. All right. Well, because I got to wait for the goodness on the. Dang it. Yes. Were we talking last week about the, yeah, we were talking last week about the, uh, oh no, it was just on, on the um, Slack channel about, about employees walking into the curved windows at the new Apple Park. Yeah, the glass windows. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm. it, I could understand within an office environment that where you, I, I have seen places that are like really hard to navigate because every wall in the interior is glass. Yeah. I have a much harder time sort of having sympathy for the exterior part of, you know, whatever venue it is that you're at. Mm. It's like, well, people are looking at their phones like, well, don't. <laughs> Are you the same kind of people who get hit by cars because you're, or uh, you get hit by uh, by Distracted stationary walking, light yeah. poles in London? So they got to they got to put you know cushions on them to, because people are like texting and walking. Like maybe don't do that. Yeah. Or buy some AirPods and then you can walk and text using your voice and connect seamlessly to your HomePod. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm. Uh, our I gotta go, here, I gotta so go I'm finish gonna... watching uh, Altered Carbon. Are you finished, Mark? Altered Carbon? No. Are you, more episodes. I, yeah, I'm, I'm on episode eight. Halfway through. Have you read the book? No. Have you? So yeah, yeah. So how easy is it to follow? I'm I'm just curious. The the story? Yeah. It's a it's a kind of a complicated story. Yeah, it kind of jumps around a bit. I mean, like um, you know, from his um, you know the Those fact boys. that he was this other dude yep. before, and he's got the sister, yep. and yep. and now I'm at the point now where he he's met back up again with his sister, yep. and he's yep. found that that she's a little bit more involved than than yep. in things, right? So yep. Yep. is that is, are you for that far in the, in the I am, TV yeah, show? But just barely, yeah. Well, I'm a little bit past that. Is that in the book or I don't remember. I think it is. I don't remember though. How long ago was the book out? I read it years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I saw it in the in the bookstores this weekend, but I, I didn't realize yep. it was. Book. It was good. So it's if you like the like the old Raymond Chandler books, <laughs> like uh, Maltese Falcon and all those, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those sort of detective. Oh, you mean Sam Spade? No, Raymond Chandler. Okay, yeah, but I'm, I only know Maltese Falcon from the movie. Is it the same guy? He, or am I missing? I don't know who uh, Raymond Chandler is. I think it's well, I think it's the uh, Maltese Falcon is that MacGuffin where it's the the, the Falcon they're trying to. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Okay, not not Maltese Falcon. The Big Sleep was Raymond Chandler. Oh, the Big Sleep. Yeah, I vaguely remember that one. Yeah, he wrote these sort of. Um, noir detective novels yeah and they were all about it was it was you know the tough guy detective who goes around you know beat people up and solves crime. yeah yeah it was this kind of thing yeah and and this is kind of like that just with a science fiction theme oh i see right okay okay and the, the yeah. book reads very much like a raymond chandler show. oh i see what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. okay who's it by Do you know raymond chandler <laughs> oh oh the altered carbon you mean oh oh uh richard k morgan oh, okay okay but it's a relatively new book or it's been out you said it's been out for years right it's been out for at least 10 years Oh really? Maybe okay. More. Yeah. Huh. Google that too. Oh, so you knew what to what to expect, sort of, when it came out. Well, I had read the book. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. so that's why I was I was wondering, you know, for someone who hadn't read the book, how easy it was to follow? Uh, it came out in two thousand two, hmm. so fifteen hmm. years ago. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a very nice looking show. <laughs> yeah, it's visually very well done. Yes. Yeah, got that you know whole Blade Runner kind of thing going as well yep. too, right? Yep. Yeah, they did grab a couple things out of Blade Runner actually in in the visuals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Hey, enjoying it. You know, I'm trying to get through it and trying not to rush through it, but. There you go. (laughs) All right, kids. Got to take off. All right. Take off, eh? Fall asleep. All right. All right. All right. Bye. Ciao. Bye.